Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Want to teach your kids financial literacy but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com odyssey. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily's My Favorite Case. Everyone in the world of true crime has a story to tell about a case that they worked. Some are high profile, some you've never heard of, but they are all fascinating. Today's guest is former Burbank Police Lieutenant Eric Rossoff. Eric, I'm so glad you're here because you've always got a story that you weave in when we do our regular podcast. So I can't wait to hear what's the story that's sticking in your memory. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, and, and I imagine, because uh, I know you know a lot of uh, police officers, and uh, this is was such an exciting idea. And I think what you're going to find out is many of the folks that you reach out to, um, they're going to have a favorite case. Uh, that maybe be, might be a little bit off the beaten path, you know, and not one of those things like you're seeing on TV or that you, you know, uh, you know, make the big headlines, but they were incredibly satisfying for the officers that were involved. Right. And, and we know, you know, in, in some of these episodes, we are using names and details and others. It's more of a, the kind of story you would tell over dinner kind of thing. So, <laughs> uh, he, I, and that's what I like about this. This is very free flow, and it's just a conversation, and it's storytelling at its best. Okay, so you're going to tell us about a case from the 90s, the early 90s, where you were chasing someone making balloons? What what was going on there, Eric? <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly one of those ones that made the nightly news, but, um, you know, I work for the Burbank Police Department, and as many people know, uh, Burbank has a, a regional airport uh, that's pretty busy. And um, what happened was we were contacted by the FAA and the airport police department that uh, someone was making these like homemade hot air balloons and was sending them up. And they're uh, probably a little bit bigger than three feet, you know, in circumference. And there was a, a pretty good sized candle that was used for the heat source. And they would go up, you know, however high that they would go. And uh, but unfortunately, what was happening was the person that was doing it um, was uh 
interfering with the flight plan, the landing pattern at the Burbank airport. So there was some serious uh, potential consequences. And as that case developed, um, it became a little bit more frequent that the uh, person would send these balloons up. Were there, I I know you say that it was like the balloons were only three feet. So I know that's not enormous, but it didn't have like a person or a little animal or, you know what I'm saying, (laughs) a child. (laughs) Uh, I think it was a uh, ninth or 10th grade science project at one time, maybe that uh, just somebody saw how heat will make something rise and um, uh, this person, but they they were pretty elaborate, you know, that they would, uh, uh, the way that everything was tethered and put together, you know, there was just some sort of weight ratio versus heat that would let these things go up and get pretty high up in the air. So, uh, yeah, but there's no uh, living organism uh, <laughs> on uh, on any of the balloons. Okay. So uh, what I find interesting, though, Eric, is the FAA and the FBI, I mean, doesn't it seem that they're, they're the ones who should be investigating this, not the Burbank Police Department? They were. And I think uh, uh, initially uh, the heads up to the Burbank Police Department and even the Los Angeles Police Department from the federal uh, law enforcement agencies and investigators, it was more just a heads up and let you know this is going on in case you run into something. But this uh, uh, back in those days, it was very territorial about whose investigation things were. And uh, when the feds came in and said, this is our investigation, it was their investigation. And they uh, it was a nice courtesy call, you know, to let the locals know we're working on it. But basically, we don't need your help. We'll take care of it. <laughs> and we're talking about a, a, a little homemade hot air balloon, which, of course, could be very potentially dangerous if it's because it's on the flight path. I get that. Yeah. And I think there's uh, some metaphor someplace about hot air, you know, that comes <laughs> in <laughs> to the uh, to the entire uh, story. But uh, it, the, the, the potential risk here was enormous. So, you know, we don't want to take it lightly, but at the end of the day, it's some guy that's sending balloons up in the air. Okay. So the FBI is involved. All the big guns come in trying to track down this person. Was this going on for a really long time? Uh, The span was probably uh, over a month, maybe closer to two months. And it wasn't, uh, there wasn't any pattern to it, you know, that every Tuesday a balloon would go up. But it got to the point that there were uh, a half a dozen probably occurrences where these balloons would go up and to the point where I know that the FBI actually was trying to develop a pattern of the frequency, time of day, you know, the likelihood of when one of these balloons would go up. They actually even put in back in those days, it wasn't normal that there would be cameras everywhere. Uh, and uh, they actually uh, set up some uh, uh video surveillance of certain areas based on trajectories and wind patterns and such and where they were seen. They had like a triangulation that had gone on. So they would try to put these cameras in the best position to actually see somebody uh, putting the balloon up. It was uh, was a pretty fascinating investigation uh, for technology back in those days. Today, it's, you know, somebody with a cell phone. But back in those days, it was was pretty uh, cutting edge. I'm curious, did they ever recover these balloons and therefore try and do any forensics on the homemade hot air balloon? There, uh, there were uh, balloons that were recovered. and uh, But again, back in those days, uh, we were at the infancy, really, of DNA testing. And, uh, you know, so there were fingerprint available, things available and such, but it wasn't quite as uh, 
not something you would see on, you know, a CSI show today. Okay, so the FBI is trying to find this person setting up these hot air balloons. Surveillance, not so much. The feds are in charge. Um, how How is the FBI doing with it? Are they getting any leads? Are they asking the public for help? Or, or is it one of these, no, we don't want to let the hot air balloon guy or gal, because I have no idea who it is yet, uh, let them know we're on to them? Yeah, I think there's a combination of those things. There, there wasn't uh, any real um, uh, media blitz. You know, sometimes the law enforcement will come out and say, we're looking for the public's help. Uh, there wasn't anything like that. There was some local coverage related to the, how the balloons were going up and how dangerous that could be. But it wasn't like um, it didn't generate any conversations or phone calls or, or, or anything like that. At the police department, I can tell you at the local level, uh, you know, it became uh, a little bit of uh, uh, put a, a sneer on your face to a certain extent, you know, that we would get a report that another balloon had gone up. And the joke kind of around the police station was, you know, I wonder how much, you know, where the feds were for that one. And um, so uh, it, it just kind of continued to go. But again, there's a layer of this that we all are recognizing is incredibly serious that uh, one of those balloons interfering in any way, shape or form with a plane that's on a final approach uh, to the Burbank airport could be devastating to our community. So, uh, but to this point, we were kind of in a position of hands off, you know, that this was a federal investigation. They're in charge of the balloons. <laughs> they got the balloon caper is all there. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, um, was there ever an accident at all or a near miss because of this balloon situation? There wasn't. Um, thank goodness. Uh, you know, there wasn't really any, uh, there wasn't any damage that was done uh, to any type of airplane or even when the thing came down, you know, there was no fire or anything that happened with it. At the, other than the location where it was happening, it was a, a completely innocuous, you know, uh, uh, simple thing for somebody to do, you know, a hobby, I would imagine that somebody was involved in, but the location made it an incredibly serious matter. And were these balloons being launched pretty much from the same area? Because even though the Burbank airport is big, it's not as big as others would think in an international way. It's a very manageable airport. So was it generally these balloons coming up at, you know, in around the same location or was that in itself moving? They were uh, they were detected in a, lo a, a location, and based on the circumstances when they were detected, they had determined that most likely, <clears throat> excuse me, they were coming from the, uh, what would be considered the eastern side of the airport and drifting west into the flight plan. And Burbank, our jurisdiction, is the eastern side of the airport. So right. um, they figured that the most likely they were being launched in Burbank. Okay, so this goes on for about a month. The feds are in charge. You guys are a little like, hey, 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 let's see if these guys can catch the balloon guy. <laughs> yeah, there's a, unfortunately, you know, I'm not proud of those moments, but there's a little bit of interagency, you know, um, noogies that go on from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> noogies. <laughs> so, Eric, how does this ultimately get solved? Well, the, um, uh, I was working in our patrol bureau. I, I was a sergeant at the time, and our um, 
in during one of our briefings, uh, we got some information again from the Fed that they kind of wanted us to stay out of an area because they were ramping up their presence now. Uh, they had enough of a pattern that they thought they knew a day and a time that it might happen. So they were actually going to put undercover FBI agents in the area to try to catch the person. I guess it would be considered red-handed. I don't know what the pun would be for, but actually lighting off the balloon and, you know, sending it up. And so the, again, the briefing we got was, Hey, Burbank, stay out of our way. They didn't, and that's a normal thing to do. They didn't want police cars to be traveling in this vicinity because that sight of the police car may actually stop the person from coming up, uh, coming outside and being caught in the net that the FBI had put out there. So uh, that night uh, went and actually they had the resource out there and a balloon went up and nobody was apprehended behind it. So the following roll call, uh, what's called a mid-watch roll call, we worked uh, at that time, we started at three o'clock in the, in the afternoon and we're at our three o'clock briefing and they come, we are told that a balloon did go up in the middle of the FBI dragnet uh, that was going on and nobody was apprehended. So, Let me ask you something. Is it while while on the Burbank side, you all are like, oh, you know, the big guns are here from the FBI going to handle this little balloon situation. I'm wondering if on the flip side that whoever was assigned from the FBI was like, dude, what did we do to get this assignment? Balloons in Burbank. <laughs> right? I mean, when you think of yeah. all the exciting things that the FBI could be working on, the flip side is like, what punishment are we receiving to try and track down a bloody balloon? And I, <laughs> We're FBI you, it, agents. It, it, it's obvious that you've been around cops and you've uh, done uh, stories about police officers because you've hit it right on the head. This is a nightmare for, uh, for an investigator because it's it's an incredibly small thing with incredibly large consequences, and you don't want to be the person in law enforcement that can't catch the balloon guy. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's not one of those retirement stories you're looking forward to, you know, because it's coming if you don't catch the balloon guy. That's, uh, it's a nightmare. <laughs> so the FBI is out there for about a month, and they have not right. caught balloon yeah. guy. Yes. So what? Uh, so the end of, uh, to um, uh, to enter the Burbank Police Department, uh, we get the briefing that they were out there, that a balloon went up, and nobody was uh, captured. I was kind of joking about it a little bit, and uh, one of our detectives uh, happened to be in the uh, briefing that day, and he came up to me and says, uh, "said Sarge, we're going to put an end to this." And I said, "Okay, what do you want to do?" He says. Uh, let's go. So we jump in a police car and we uh, drive out to this grid where they think, you know, most likely um, these balloons might be coming from. And in our city, that grid is about uh, maybe six blocks, you know, um, across, you know, from two majors. And most of those streets in those six blocks are multifamily apartment dwellings. So we start driving up and down the streets and uh, there are uh, kids outside playing. And they see the police car and, you know, kids would come up and we'd say hello to them and we'd say, hey, who's sending up the balloon? And people, they would look at us, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, the third street we get to, there's some kids out in the street playing, playing ball. And we go up and say, hey, who's sending up the balloon? And right away, they all go, oh, it's that guy over there. And they point to an apartment building. <laughs> 
you realize how insane all of this sounds that you've got the FBI working on trajectories and surveillance and you're like, hey, kid, who's sending up the balloon? (laughs) uh, At any given time, if you've you've got a smile on your face and a hello, uh, you can solve a, a lot of cases. All right. You know, so, because we miss the opportunity sometimes just to say who's doing this and uh, that uh, will solve cases many times. Yeah. I mean, it's really a pretty easy question, especially since you're now telling us that this was a six block area. I mean, come on. This is making yes. me wonder now, OK, maybe the folks, you know, from the FBI, maybe you really were being punished for something. <laughs> maybe you can't. Can can you just ask a kid a question that's just so, I guess it would be beneath them in their techniques for the feds to bring in their ar- all, all their arsenal to, to figure this out. <laughs> I think there's a give and take to a certain extent where you say, we've got all, this, all these, you know, quote unquote toys. And there are absolutely officers that are fascinated with technology and structure. And, uh, and those are incredibly important talents. Uh, for us to use, you know, everything that we have available to us to try to solve crimes. Obviously, I've never been afflicted with, you know, um, technology. <laughs> I've always kind of liked what they used to call in old, you know, uh, police novels, uh, shoe leather is, you know, walking the beat and talking to the people in the neighborhood. And it's incredible the amount of intelligence or information that's available by doing that. So I think what we have tried to evolve to is a blend of both of those things. Understand when technology is useful, but never lose the idea of just knowing the neighborhood and having a relationship where people will actually come up to your police car and say hello, you know, versus running away from you. Well, it's a lot like being a reporter. Something happens, you've got to go to the scene, and you have to start knocking on doors. You can't imagine or expect that people are just going to come to you, although some people do. There's always like someone in the neighborhood, oh my God, I saw it all, let me tell you, right? That's great, thank you, you've made my life so much easier. But sometimes you literally just have to go knocking on doors. And I will agree with you. Sometimes the kid on the bicycle is very helpful. I've had a few instances where I was trying to find someone, I wasn't sure which house it was, and whenever I see a kid on a bicycle, never to scare them, it's like, hey, do you know where this guy lives? <laughs> I'm telling you. Uh, if, just as a very quick side note, I think I've shared with you in the past that I spent some time as a school resource officer. And I can tell you the impact of that, having you know that relationship with students and their parents and teachers. On many occasions, cases were solved just because those students or parents or teachers might have had a little bit of information, but they felt so comfortable with their police officer, you know, the person that was at their school, uh, that they would come up and say, hey, Billy's brother said that Tom, you know, and they would take you down a path and then you'd hand that information off to investigators who would now have a lead that they wouldn't otherwise have. So those relationships are are something that we absolutely uh, try to maintain and even covet uh, because it helps us be better partners in the community. And most people, especially when you're dealing in a neighborhood and you're really talking about a residential area, when you start knocking on doors and talking to neighbors, many of them know the patterns of their neighbors. They know the cars that they drive, the times they go to work, how many people are in the house. So it's it's almost it's it's like 
reporting, or I guess in your case, policing 101. Just ask a simple question. Hey, kid, do you know who's sending up the balloons? <laughs> I am. I imagine that the uh, the basic academy information for a detective and a reporter we'd be sitting in the same class, right? You know, uh, and our our uh, what we're trying to do is get an accurate account of something that took place. Um, you know, and that's gather information. And you and I both know from our experience. Sometimes people will embellish. Sometimes people will hold back. Sometimes people that really don't know anything will act like they do. And it's our job to gather it and put the pieces together. And then there are the instances when people come out with frying pans, as has happened to me in Barstow, <laughs> California. I was looking for someone as part of a alleged scam. And I'm trying to find this person, trying to find this person. We've been on surveillance for three days. Actually, no, it was um Brawley, not Barstow, Brawley. And this is by the Salton Sea. Basically, people, it's in the middle of nowhere. And it's a, you know, a community of three blocks by three blocks, and it's 600 degrees out. And it's summertime. And I'm on the surveillance, and I'm just like, I've never been so miserable in my life. And, and I can't, and you're moving the car constantly and constantly, and then the neighbors are suspicious, and then they're calling the cops on you. And so finally, you know, um, I go to the door, and there's this, uh, little girl at the door. And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> so not to frighten her, you know, I'm not misrepresenting myself. And I'm like, hey, is so-and-so here? Uh-huh. Okay, go get your mom. <laughs> right? Because uh, So then the next thing I know, <laughs> someone's coming at me with one of those cast oh iron God. frying pans. And I was like, I don't, I don't bloody believe this. Someone is chasing me away with a frying pan i think it still had the morning breakfast in it because it was like a saturday or a sunday morning <laughs> yeah you know i'll bet i'll bet in that moment as terrifying as it was as a reporter looking back that's a pretty satisfying moment right there well it would be like one of my favorite cases stories is like we've yeah. all got so many of these of these stories yeah. to share of the behind the scenes of how you get stories or how you yeah. get people and this is the stuff that never makes it into the TV version or the written version. It's just like the person who comes after you with the frying pan, you know, and the neighbors that are that you're upsetting, um, right. the people knocking on the windows, the heat, you know, the uh, it's just the misery. None of this is ever part of the story that everybody hears, but it is part of the job. And for me, yeah. surveillance is just like surveillance is deadly. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's you, never you put, ending. You put those two things together, how bad that person didn't want to be found, and you found them. You know, how bad do you want to find them versus how bad do they not want to be found? And that's the exact parallel that comes to law enforcement. You know, I've shared well, with you, too. I, had a, I worked on a surveillance crew, and I, I commiserate with you. Uh, the hours sitting in a car, you know, waiting for something to happen. It's pretty satisfying when that thing does happen. And in our case, it would be to apprehend a criminal. In your case, is to get that statement, you know, to let the public know what's happening. Uh, it's incredibly important. You know, we're both on very important, you know, missions to try to get to the truth. And the woman with the frying pan was not the woman we were looking for. I believe she was related to her. And then as part of this insane three-day or more surveillance, and then because we couldn't get the person the first time they sent us back, I thought, Oh, my God, I'm like that FBI guy. What have I done to deserve this to be sent to the middle of nowhere 
to do this story. So as part of this surveillance, and again, this is the stuff that never makes it out there. So we have a picture of her, right? We know where she lives. And I'm not only with a photographer, but we also have security with us always, you know, armed security, because these situations can go sideways at any time. So um, part of uh, our security is also kind of like a PI. They go in advance. They give us the lay of the land to try and make sure that our time there is as valuable and as productive as possible. So he says to me, I've seen her. I've seen her. She's coming in and out of the house. I'm telling you. And I'm like, really? Okay, this is going to be great. Call headquarters, right? At at Crime Watch Daily. Yeah, he's found her. It's like, okay, great. You know, it's like 600 degrees and we're sweating. So then, so then he says, there she is. And so we follow her, right? We follow her to one of these shopping malls, like not exactly a Home Depot, but think of it like a strip mall like that, right? And then, and we've got the crew and they're in a separate car and they're following and I'm with security and we're slow and we're watching her and we're watching her park. And I make the decision. I'm like, you know, okay, hold on. Don't, don't scare her. Get the camera. They load up the camera. You know, we're buying time. Thankfully, she's being very slow about getting out of the car, right? Um, we can't get the camera in time. So she goes into the store. Okay, that's fine, because we know she has to come back to the car, right? We think we have our person. And so <laughs> so then the security guy goes into the store and says, yeah, she's on aisle, blah, 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 blah. She'll be out soon. And there we are. We're poised. This is good because we've given ourselves a beat time, and it, it won't be so rushed. Woman comes out. I approach her. I say, blah, 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 blah. Are you blah, 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 blah? And she looks at me, and I'm looking at her. And she says, no, I'm not her. And I'm looking at her. And then I say to my sec- our security guy, the PI, I said, that's not her. That's not her. And I bring out the photo and I, and I apologize to the woman. She gets back in her car. She's super confused. And then the, the, you know, the private investigator security guy and I are like going out in the parking lot. Are you crazy? Look at this. This is not her. I have to call headquarters. I'm like, it wasn't her. In fact, it didn't look anything like her, you know. And so <laughs> we've wasted all this time chasing a woman who is not who is not the person that we were looking for, that we needed, because our PI thought that that was her. But it's like, what are you nuts? That's not her. <laughs> you know, and it's it happened to the best of us. You know, where we think that that's where in our terminology we would have instances we say, okay, that's our crook. You know, that's our crook. And we would go and we'd follow and do all the stuff. And now we're two hours, three hours into it, and somebody goes. Hey, wait a minute. That's not our guy. And you think, and I know that feeling where you say, I've just, I'm never going to get these three hours back, <laughs> you know? For, right. And, and then you look at the person that originally identified the person as being, you know, our officer that says that's the, that's the suspect that's, or we would say the target and it wasn't. Oh my gosh. Oh my There's gosh. A little, right, because a, a little bit of language that would frequently <laughs> oh, absolutely. In, our, in our debrief, <laughs> it got a little heated sometimes. <laughs> absolutely. Okay. So we've detoured a little bit into one of my favorite I, I like cases. That. That's, this is a better, this is a, a better segment. I think is my favorite story is the reporter. <laughs> no, <laughs> we, although Lord case. knows we, we have millions <laughs> of stories. I do. I, you know, I am thinking that I'd love to have some of my fellow reporter friends on, 
for this series because they oh tell gosh. amazing. When we all get together for dinner, it's insane. The conversations are insane. When and about the biggest cases that you every, all have heard of. When it, everything is opened up again, you grab your five, your five favorite folks and I'm going to grab my five favorite folks and we're just going to go into a room someplace and then we should just videotape those conversations. Oh, that'd be <laughs> that so much fun. Just, it really <laughs> would be. It'd be so much fun. Okay, so let's, let's get back yes. to our balloon, balloon case. So you have found a kid in the neighborhood who says, yeah, it's the guy over there. So right, what right. happens next? Uh, the uh, the, the uh, kids that we talked to told us basically bottom floor, last apartment. So uh, we go over there, we knock on the door, nobody's there. Uh, we do kind of the investigative stuff where we start to look around. There's a big community trash can for the, um, uh, for the, um, uh, apartment complex and uh you know remember a balloon had gone up just the night before and we open up the lid on that and sure enough there are there's pieces of canvas that are consistent with what the balloon is there's uh uh some other uh indications some of the things that were used for tether the twine that was used for the tethers and there was actually a receipt and uh on the receipt uh was a person's name that we were able to do by the mailbox was the person that lived in the same apartment and among the things that were purchased were the same type of candles that were used to uh, that were re uh, eventually recovered. So we knew that we had our person. Um, we went back. The detective that I was with uh, scratched out a relatively quick search warrant, you know, talking about, uh, you know, uh, what the case was and what was going on, this, that and the rest. And the judge granted us an OK to go in. Uh, we went back to the apartment, got the uh, uh, management company for the apartment. We knocked, you know, did uh, the things that are necessary in a search warrant. But we gained access, and when we got in there, there was a little balloon-making table that was set up and had all the stuff that was there. Um, so, you know, the case was cracked. And, you know, um, what we also found that was uh, on the table was a relatively good amount. Back in those days, it was cocaine. And um, uh, so um, uh, not quite to the point that you would say it was selling cocaine, but he was definitely using cocaine. Oh, so, I, you know, I wouldn't have put those two things together. Like nah. someone who is so meticulous and so into this, you know, kind of nerdy and not in a bad way. But you, do you know what I mean? Like you're thinking of someone who's always had, who's been a hobbyist, for example. Right. I just would not picture rows of cocaine. <laughs> well, it, I think it actually, on the flip side of that, it's kind of into that, you know, quote unquote, tweaker uh, you know, I'm mm. up late at night and that meticulous, it's, it's being a hobbyist on cocaine. <laughs> so they're just, uh, you know, it, it amps up their, uh, you know, commitment to the hobby. But, uh, and then uh, the, the the person never did come home. We got a, a, we were able to obtain an arrest warrant then for him. And a couple of days later, he was arrested for the whole idea about the balloons, which was, uh, you know, a relatively, it was a, actually a federal offense but a relatively minor thing. And then there was a state offense as well uh, related to the, uh, to the narcotics that were involved. And I have to tell you, uh, Anna, my, the detective and I, we were very satisfied about the fact that we were able to put the case together. And both of us, and almost simultaneously, um, we felt kind of bad for the suspect that he had cocaine there. You know, that, um, that's right. not what we, what we were out for. You know, the fact that we arrested somebody that had, you know, narcotics, that's what we're supposed to do. And I don't feel bad about the fact that, you know, we arrested somebody for narcotics. But that wasn't the focus of what we were doing as a narcotics right. investigation. And the fact that 
this guy in the world was using cocaine and to, you know, it ended up, he had a job. He wasn't, you know, someone that was stealing things from anybody else. Um, that wasn't like the focus of what we were doing. And to a certain extent, we actually felt kind of bad for the guy. Right. It was an ancillary complication that made the charges that much more serious. Right. He was going to get, you know, uh, Hey, a slap on the wrist. This was incredibly, you know, stupid, maybe of you to do related to the balloons. But then there was a, a tail on them related to the uh, to the cocaine. Um, you know, one way or another, you know, we didn't went, never went out looking for this guy. He literally put himself on our, our radar screen. But um, I think at the end of the day, it was almost bittersweet. The you know the sweet part was uh, that we were able to call the FBI and said. Hey, you can take down your thousands of dollars worth of you know investigative stuff because uh, you know some kid on a Schwinn bicycle told us who was committing the crime. Um, but at the you know that was the the sweet part of it. Uh, the bitter part was I really did kind of feel bad for the suspect at the end of the day. I'm curious when it came to arresting him in the search warrant. Those two components. Did you tell the FBI or did you and your partner say hey, 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 no, we're doing this? We notified the the FBI that we had identified a suspect and that we were um, applying for a search warrant. And towards the end of the search warrant, uh, the, the search warrant itself was, you know, a hour and a half, two hours, it's a, a one bedroom apartment. And we were relatively limited into the scope of what we could search based on what we were looking for. So it wasn't like we were tearing up carpet, you know, and going into stuff. So uh, it was relatively uh, 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 a quick operation. Uh, and at no point did they say, stop doing what you're doing, you know, or come in and try to take it over. Uh, there was a representative that showed up and just asked to make sure that uh, they were included with the photographs and the reports and the rest of the things that were going on. Uh, very, actually, the, the person that showed up was incredibly nice and, you know, uh, and uh, very professional. And, uh, uh, and we tried the best we could, <laughs> you know, to uh, reciprocate being professional with them as well. Uh, you, you mean know, to not snicker at them? I <laughs> got your balloon guy, buddy. <laughs> I, I <laughs> Go back to Quantico. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a um, kind of a telepathic snicker uh, amongst law enforcement agencies that it, we, without saying it or expressing it, the snicker is implied. Maybe mm -hmm. you know, that uh, knowing what we uh, what we know about the whole thing. But listen, I, I I went to the FBI National Academy in Quantico. And it, I, I had the opportunity to go there. Uh, they have a, a program where they invite local law enforcement to attend FBI classes. It's an 11 week experience at Quantico. And it was amazing. And I'm proud to be a member of the FBI National Academy. And the FBI is an amazing organization. You know, I'm not trying to take anything away from them. It's just enter law enforcement type of things from time to time. It's like if we were bowling against each other there would be some type of a rivalry. Uh, we're, you know, enforcing laws at the same time. We want to arrest the crook and they want to arrest the crook. So we like it when we do. I know we're not naming names here, but is there anything you can tell me about the balloon maker? I'm, I mean, what was his story? My best recollection that he was, he had a job working, I want to say in studio with, for the studios. And I don't know at what capacity, Mm -hmm. um, and that he wasn't home because he was uh, somewhere that they were doing some type of remote location production, and he was away at that. So, um, and this was his hobby, I guess. 
you know, was this one of his hobbies was the whole thing about balloons. So uh, that was my, my recollection of who he was. I'm curious. Was he absolutely surprised to find out that he was being arrested because of the balloons and that the FBI was looking for him because of these balloons? I uh, wasn't directly ever in contact with him. I know when he was arrested, um, that he was arrested by patrol officers that knew that he lived at the place. And we had put out some information to patrol officers. If you see this person coming or going, by that time, we had done more investigation. We knew where what his car was and the rest. And just an officer in the area saw the car, pulled him over, identified him, and arrested him. And he asked what it was about. And what got back to me <clears throat> was uh, that uh, he totally thought it was about uh, the, the narcotics. Um, and then uh, <laughs> that, that's what he was being arrested for was about the narcotics. And uh, when he was told that there was also a, a federal investigation, the, um, uh, the, off, the arresting officer, I, think, I'm, I don't know that I have the exact uh, language, but it was something along the lines of flabbergasted that, you know, had no, in the wildest dreams, could have imagined that he was on the radar screen of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. For hot air balloons. Homemade For hot, hot air, air balloons. balloons. Yeah. That is so funny. What a great case. I love that. Yeah. It's, uh, like I said at the beginning, uh, Anna, it's the kind of just little things that uh, you sit around with your buddies and you're having a couple of beers, and these are those stories that people will remember forever. You know, uh, there's, there's plenty of cops and robber stuff that go on. Absolutely. Um, and, but uh, it's those ones, just like you shared about the woman chasing you with the frying pan. That's the cocktail party story that you and your peers tell, you know, because it's like one of your favorite stories. It wasn't in the moment. It wasn't fun at all, but when it was all said and done, that's the kind of stuff that sticks with you. Absolutely. Thank you, Eric, so much for <laughs> sharing this story. It's really been delightful. It's it's just, I love these conversations. I really do. I think this is one of my favorite series just because it's an insight into the world of crime from a totally different perspective and storytelling. So I'm very much enjoying this series, and I'm so glad that you shared with us. If people want to find out more about you, because I know while you are not directly in law enforcement now, you still do a lot of work having to do with safety in schools. Can you tell us what you're working on and how people can find you? Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, we have a, a nonprofit that's called the Campus Safety Group. And if people are interested in it, uh, they can certainly get a hold of us at their website is uh, campussafetygroup.org. And uh, we're doing a lot of exciting work and we're helping schools uh, uh, with their safety plan. Terrific. Well, thanks. For joining us, uh, you can always find me at Anna G News, Anna with one N, um, on all social media. And sometimes the things I talk about on social media have nothing to do with true crime. But for example, yesterday I caught a baby mouse and relocated. It's those silly things in life. I, you know what, Eric? I didn't have it in me. This little baby mouse had been around. Its mother, I know for sure, had been caught. I believe in a trap, and I just. I, I'm, when I saw the baby mouse for like the third day, I brought out the Parmesan cheese and <laughs> I put little flakes of Parmesan cheese down and then I lured it toward me. And then with a plastic Tupperware, <laughs> I, I caught it and then I put a magazine under the Tupperware. <laughs> and I carried it outside 
And you can see that video on Instagram or on my Facebook <laughs> as I share my pain and my agony of like, what am I going to do with this? And it's the cutest little thing you've ever seen. But I can't have a mouse in the house. The exterminator is coming today. So I saved that little guy from the exterminator. You're like a, a walking cartoon character. Sometimes I can see that you know, little thing. Up the, uh, the absolutely. The Parmesan cheese good for you. You figured it out. And it was some very good Parmesan cheese. <laughs> High quality. <laughs> well, thank you, Eric. We so appreciate it. We thank all of you for joining us. If you're ever trying to find our content, this or the other podcasts we do, you can find everything on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and of course, on YouTube. And you can get updates by subscribing to our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. We thank you for joining us. And this is True Crime Daily's My Favorite Case. Mm-hmm.